Hey, listener, sorry for the late Matt Report episode. It was my birthday this weekend. Decided to take some time off. So here's the episode today. Hope you enjoy. Hey, if you're like me and you need to get better at SEO, Brendan Hufford, creator of SEO for the Rest of Us, visit seoforthereustofus.org slash Matt. That's seoforthereustofus.org slash Matt. This might be the most no-brainer ad spot I've ever had to read. Let me just read off of the page of what Brendan has to offer for us. If you go to seoforthereustofus.org slash Matt, thing number one you can get is join the free one ranking away five-day SEO challenge, a daily email with one essential SEO action to take that day toward your business goals. Number two, get 80% off the Need for Page Speed Challenge. In May 2021, Google will be rolling out a major ranking factor update, and that will be Page Speed. So if you want to join that challenge, you can get 80% off. Or thing number three, 90 days of Brendan's membership SEO for the rest of us. Forget this, $0. Yes, $0 for 90 days. You can join the SEO for the rest of us membership for free seo for the rest of us.org slash matt seo for the rest of us.org slash matt seo for the rest of us.org slash matt thanks for supporting the show paid memberships pro is back at it again find pmp at paidmembershipspro.com it's the most complete wordpress membership plugin in the business don't take my word for it go to paidmembershipspro.com and look at the customer showcase right on the homepage. Hey, here's an idea. Do you want to start a business in 2021? Grab WordPress. That's free. Install Paid Memberships Pro. That's free. Use three of their free amazing add-ons like MailChimp, which is also free to build that email list. WooCommerce, also free to sell a digital good or a service. And then Zapier, also free to pipe your automations around the web. It's amazing. It's paidmembershipspro.com. Get it? at paidmembershipspro.com, paidmembershipspro.com. Thanks for supporting the show. I'm sure we're all very familiar with building in public. As someone that has been doing exactly that for the last 15 years or so, I can tell you it's really the only way I know how to do something. If you're unfamiliar with the practice, it starts as early as the idea phase. You might tweet about your idea or write a blog post explaining the overall value of said idea. It's your spaghetti against the wall moment. Let's see what sticks. Do people retweet it, comment, or click the links that you've shared? Once you hit some gratification, you move on to the next step, planning the actual product or service. From here on out, you should be live journaling this whole experience. It's what the collective we expect from you. We want to see how it's all made, start to finish, followed up by what happens post-launch. This is the normal I see in my circles of entrepreneurial friends. Don't get me wrong, though. There's a lot of people, maybe even the majority, that plot, plan, and build and release products without making a peep first. Heck, that's what my brother does. Mostly, you can listen to our last podcast together. There's nothing wrong with that, and in some markets, you should do that to fend off competition. Today's guest, Kieran Ball, has done this about 17 times now in the no-code space. In fact, he started in the WordPress world, but quickly discovered his passion for building products were best achieved using other tools. You're listening to The Matt Report, a podcast for the resilient digital business builder. Subscribe to the newsletter at mattreport.com slash subscribe and follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Better yet, please share this episode on social media. We'd love more listeners around here. Okay, let's talk to Kieran and hear how he's built in public. Well, 17 times now. My favorite one to talk about now is the one I'm working on currently, which is Community Copilot. So that's a kind of micro SaaS business built almost, well, no, I'd say 
built mainly without code. There is some code in the background. I have a technical co-founder, so he does the kind of data side of things and I do like the front end stuff. But yeah, I'm excited about that one because I just think it's solving a real problem and it's in like a, a very fast growing space. I have other products which I think technically more challenging and more impressive, but they have zero traction. So I'm not quite as excited about those. But at one point you were doing the WordPress thing. You were developing sites or designing sites with WordPress. How did that all go? Not very well. So yeah, in like 2014, the nonprofit I was working for shut down and I moved back to my hometown and I I didn't want to get a, a regular job. So I decided to try and make it as like a freelance web designer. And I'd done a little bit of like HTML and CSS and I'd use WordPress to build my own sites. And so I kind of had some experience of just like hacking around with WordPress templates and customizing them a bit and copying and pasting some PHP here and there. And so I started trying to do that and I made a few websites for people and I was always very nervous because I felt they were kind of hacky and I didn't totally understand what was going on. But, you know, some of the people who I made the sites for are still using them today, much to my horror. They haven't updated their WordPress version in, <laughs> in well, maybe six years. But yeah, so I, I was doing that and I was enjoying it. But at the end of the day, working for clients and like working at the pace I was able to was just was too difficult and I wasn't able to make enough. So I ended up starting a startup and finding a a proper technical co-founder. So that's my day job is like co-founder of the startup, but I don't do any kind of code or technical stuff for that and then the no code stuff kind of came on the side as as something to do as a, a hobby am i giving it am i giving wordpress too much credit to being the precursor to you like being interested in in no code and and maybe getting like the html front end and even back end chops to to inspire you to use no code today yeah that's absolutely true i mean i i used wordpress for ages and ages and i loved it and for a long time it was helping to scratch my creative itches it allowed me to go beyond the kind of html css sites that i had been doing and and have proper cms's and i was getting to the point where i could make decent sites that had that used kind of the wordpress cms but to put different areas of the site together and then give control to the clients but the thing that i was never able to do and I don't know if WordPress can do that now is that yes I could give a client access to the back-end CMS so that they could post their own articles or they could update the site themselves but I could never make it so there could be multiple users coming to that site and making changes and having their own accounts. I know you can do some stuff with plugins but I had never really dug into that and I know I know you can have forums and things like that but I'd never got that far. So when I discovered no code and realized that actually there are ways of doing that where it's not you're not having to kind of feel like you're using a plugin and hacking something together. It's actually built to do that. I was just blown away and very excited. Yeah. One of the things I like to explore is when I get a real diehard WordPress person on this podcast, <clears throat> or even somebody who's like a, a real diehard like open source advocate, sort of the the testament to WordPress is, is like, I own this code, I own the database. And really the only thing I'm quote unquote paying for is the hosting company, right? And I can move hosting companies, but that doesn't exist in its entirety, like in the no code space and the low code space, specifically something like a bubble or a web flow. Sure. You can export maybe the data, but the functionality, like everything else is, that is the thing. That is what you're paying for. You're paying for that functionality on Webflow or, or Bubble. Is that something that like 
crosses your mind when you're building these things? And, and how do you make that trade off? Like, uh, yeah, I could own it if I just hand wrote everything or did it in WordPress, but Bubble makes me build it way faster. And I'm not really worried about the platform that it's on. Yeah, for me, I, I'm not at all interested in owning it. I would rather not own it, to be honest, and have someone else handling all the difficult parts. Like with the WordPress sites that I was I was hosting, I was always nervous about the database, like have I done backups and what happens if it goes wrong and there's no one to help me. So I actually quite like the fact that there is someone else taking care of all that stuff for me so I don't have to worry about it. And yes, I am paying them a monthly fee to do that. And Yes, perhaps there is some risk that if they just disappeared overnight, my site would be gone. But for me, it's more of a means to an end. So I'm I'm interested in like the business side and can I get traction with this product? And I'm not particularly, I don't really care. I'm agnostic about what platform I'm using or what technology. And I, I know that if like but one of them bubble went under overnight, I know that I could probably rebuild the same functionality within a couple of months. So it wouldn't be a huge hit, but the fact that I can build quickly and I can pivot quickly is really where the value is for me. Yeah. People might have heard, oh, I have a technical co-founder. I thought this no-code, low-code space was supposed to be super easy. I fell into that quote-unquote trap when I first heard a bubble. I was like, oh boy, I know how to build a page in WordPress. And I went into it and I was like, wait a minute, what's this blank canvas staring back at me? Like, I don't, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And there, there is a, I'll say it, a steep learning curve. You built a product specifically to address that called the bubble crash course. How did you fall into that? And did you have those same experiences? Like you open up bubble day one and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I got to learn this thing a little bit deeper than I thought. I, I mean, I know that most people do kind of struggle with, when they first start with bubble, but I think there's some... Um, misconceptions about it and i think once you learn a few simple kind of rules you quickly get used to it and then you can start building stuff yourself so you definitely don't need a technical background you don't need a technical co-founder it it helps to have to understand some logic about databases and things like that but if you've used like spreadsheets a lot then you'll probably have a good understanding of that anyway but yeah I decided, well, I just enjoyed building things on it. And I actually didn't do any tutorials myself. I just, I just learned by building. And every time I thought of something and I want, I just thought, I wonder how you would do that. And then I thought of a way to do it and it just worked. So to me, it seems quite intuitive. Like bubble seems to fit with the way that I think about doing things. And so it, it, it comes quite naturally, which is just a wonderful feeling. But I realized that it wasn't like that for everyone. So me and a buddy who were, we were both kind of relatively recent beginners of Bubble. We decided to make a, a course for beginners to explain in the way that we would have want, wanted to understand or, or hear from someone else when we first started. So it takes you from nothing to, by the end of it, I'd say you, you could build almost anything you want, maybe not a marketplace website, because uh, that has quite a lot of extra complexities when you have two parties paying each other, but you could definitely build a SaaS you could definitely build like a directory site or a job board or anything like that. I, I even hate to admit this, but I, I, when I first dove in, I started taking a bunch of their, they have a really good like onboarding, or at least when I did it, which was probably over a year ago at this point, because I think it was pre-COVID. They have a really good onboarding like tutorial, like you kind of walked you through all these different systems and stuff like that. Are there like, at this point, like templates where you can just spin up maybe not a marketing, uh, a marketplace site, but 
like are, are there templates for complete apps that you can just turn on in bubble is that something yeah. that exists yeah one of the one of the best things about bubble actually is that they have tons of plugins and they have tons of templates so you can there are marketplace templates and you can just choose one and you have it's almost a fully functional marketplace straight out of the box you need to like plug in maybe your stripe api keys and things like that uh, and it will just work. And then you, then it's all about, because it's going to be a fairly complex template, when you come to change things, you need to actually understand. So I wouldn't recommend just diving in there with a really complicated template. Personally, I like to start from scratch every time, just so I totally understand how everything works and there's not parts that I'm wondering what they are. And the plugin uh, marketplace on Bubble is just incredible. Like you can... You can just extend Bubble in any way you want. You can any technologies you can think of that it's is not using. You can have someone build a custom plugin, and so instead of hiring a developer to build the whole thing, uh, you just hire them to build this plugin, and it takes them like five hours, and you pay them accordingly, and then it's your plugin, and you can use that again and again on all your projects. So that's what I did for for one of my projects, which I think is the most technically accomplished one. It's a site called Review UseReview.com. And it essentially means you can get anyone can upload a video to the platform and then I can see it on my dashboard and I can watch it back. And as I'm watching it, I can type comments and they will be time tagged to the moment that I'm typing them in the video. But I can also record video comments. So if you think of someone perhaps learning a language or or someone who's given a speech and you want us to give feedback to them, you can just they can watch it back and they can have all these comments from all different people and video comments and everything telling them that how could how they could improve on it so and that's all built with bubble and with like two custom plugins which which as i said just took a few hours for someone to to build yeah that's pretty amazing how did you find yourself at least in this new venture with i have loads of questions and i and i'm trying to think of the best way to to frame this but with this new community co pilot project you have a technical co-founder. Now I get the I get the reasons why, right? Scalability. I mean, you, you can't do everything. You're probably doing things like the marketing, the business side, the growth side, all of that fun stuff and you have someone technical running it. How did you come across getting somebody to to be well, how did you come across getting your co-founder? Is the more direct question for this project. Um well, so he actually I do I've done like all of the front end of the website and a lot of the operational stuff so the website itself the app is pretty much all built with no code and you could build it without a technical co-founder but the side that he's doing it so community copilot is it's like a crm and analytics tool for community managers so if you run a community on slack which i actually do then you can just plug it into your slack it will pull in analytics you can see which members are active and which aren't and you can keep notes on them you can send messages to them and all that through the platform and just keep track of who everyone is i actually met kevin my co-founder through the community that i run so he was in the community and i was saying oh man it's really hard to keep track of all, all these new members and he said why don't we team up on something and and so he's doing all like the data side so all the data that comes out of slack he's grabbing out of slack and python he's putting into a hasura database and he's doing some like clever sums on it and then he's pushing that into bubble so we're using that because we think it's more scalable than using the bubble database purely because of the volume of information like it we have one community that's using that has 13,000 members so if you think of all the data that's going to come out of that slack group every day we need to be able to kind of store that 
in a scalable way. So we're actually, yeah, we're a pretty good team and he's, he's, yeah, given me the confidence, I think, because I think as a, as a no coder, when you are trying to build a SaaS and, and you're essentially a technical founder, but then you don't really, there's parts of it that you don't totally understand. It's, it's very reassuring to have someone who knows code, who can like look in the logs and understand things better than I can. Yeah. How, how do you think about scaling, let's say a digital product company or or a product like you have bubble crash course right and that probably takes the investment of just keeping up with maybe major features with bubble and you're going back maybe every quarter or maybe every six months maybe even only a year i mean i know people i know people who sell products who don't touch it they don't need to touch it for like a a couple of years and it just sells at infinite and they don't really need to maintain it other than marketing and promoting it how have you found yourself balancing with all the other stuff that you've done like digital product sort of this one-time fee versus, well, this new SaaS business. How do you find yourself balancing that? Not even just product development, but scaling it, growing it, that kind of thing. So it's fairly new. So I've actually like amongst those 17 products or it's now more like 20 that I launched, I wanted to try a bit of everything. And so I I literally, I have done a podcast, newsletter, various SaaS businesses uh, that, that all failed or I gave up on eventually. And then I did Launch MBA, which is the community. And so that's a, a paid community. And that's actually my, in terms of revenue, that's my most successful no-code business so far. But there's not a whole load of no code in there. It's, it's mainly a community. And so there's a lot of more kind of people skills. I wanted to do a digital product or an information product because I just wanted, I saw a lot of people were doing them and I thought it, it just seems like something where you, you put in the effort upfront, but then you can earn revenues from it without really doing any extra work apart from some marketing over potentially a year or two. So I I wanted to see what that was like. And I figured, what have I got to teach? Well, a lot more people now are becoming interested in bubble. So it just seemed natural to try and do that. And also I had people on Twitter kind of know me for the stuff I build with bubble. So I was getting a lot of questions about it. So I thought I may as well uh, try and, and make something. So it's, it's fairly new and I think we're, we're not putting enough effort into marketing it as we should, because really marketing is, is something that you need to actually focus on. You can't expect it to just sell itself, but we are learning and we're, we're starting to, we've started a YouTube channel and stuff like that, posting tutorials and things like that. So I think the SaaS is going to take longer to build up in terms of like monthly recurring revenue. Um, and obviously that's the dream to have your MRR keeping you going without any additional work but the the digital product is great because it's it's there and anytime i do like a promotion i get a nice little bump in sales or anytime someone's asking a question about bubble i can always mention it and it's just it's nice to have it there this is when during our pre-interview one of the notes i have i don't know if i wrote this or if you said this (laughs) so i apologize if it was me who wrote it and not you who said it but i have a frustrated idea person is that where this comes from like, so you say that you, you launch a bunch of things and your words, you said that they failed. I feel the same way with a lot of the stuff that I do, but I really take them as deep learning lessons. Frustrated, frustrated idea person. Could you just expand on that? Is that the sum of all of this stuff? Um, that was me before I discovered no code. That was me for years and years while I was doing my WordPress freelancing before that, whilst I was employed for various companies, I was always trying to launch side projects and businesses and I could never get anywhere because I tried learning to code. I just couldn't do it. I tried hiring 
developers. I tried finding co-founders, technical co-founders, but ultimately most of my ideas were bad. And at that point, I didn't understand anything. Like I never validated an idea before I, I built it. I was still in the kind of frame of mind where I'd come up with a great idea, not even for me, not even solving any problem for me. I'd tell my friends about it like until they got totally bored. And then maybe I'd try and find someone to build it for me and it never got done. <laughs> and And so when I discovered no code, yeah, I just started, I started launching all these terrible ideas and making them into reality. And I just quickly discovered that actually, even though I could make decent, like MVPs, like functional products now, it didn't mean people were going to use them. (laughs) So I realized after doing maybe 10, 12, 15 products that actually there's no, although I was learning a lot and it was a great experience, it wasn't really going to go anywhere unless I changed the way I thought about things. So I really started to focus more on just launching landing pages and trying to get people to pre-purchase products because I think the the ultimate validation you can get is if someone's willing to pay for a product that doesn't yet exist and so for bubble crash course for community copilot and for launch mba my community I I pre-sold all of those and having some money down from people just gave me the confidence that people wanted it and it also kind of lit a fire under me to say like people want to give you money for this you have to make it good like there's no choice whereas if i'd have done if i'd have tried to put in all the 100 hours of recording tutorials for bubble crash course not knowing if anyone was going to pay for it i think i probably halfway through i would have been incredibly depressed and probably just given up i would have thought of a thousand excuses not to launch it but because we had before launch we had like $6000 committed already which we figured pretty much covered the cost of our time we were just really motivated to get it done and get it out there. Yeah. Do you have a better sense? I know this is a diffi- probably a difficult question to answer, but it's one that I struggle with with my own works. I like to call them works of art now, make me feel <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> like all that time that I've wasted is is at least some of some value. Do you have a sense of like that time length or timeline that you'll commit to a, a product or an idea before you've realized you know what? I don't even think this is going to work. Even if it is, I have to get to the landing page and I have to pre-sell it because sometimes it's very difficult to peel yourself, peel back from yourself and like look at the scope of work that you're doing outside of your body and be like, okay, you have to stop being motivated about this idea because it's not going to work. Do you have a sense of when you can find that clarity in a project these days? I mean, it's definitely helped me to to launch, just launch so many things because the more things I launch and the quicker I launch, the more easy it is for me to give them up. And that's not always a good thing because there may be some great ideas in there or great products that I just haven't put the, the right amount of effort into to getting them out there. Some of them are just tweet it once and if if it doesn't get a response then i just forget about it and move on but i think in the grand scheme of things it's good to have this kind of lack of emotional attachment to your ideas because ultimately everyone has tons of ideas and and really by by putting lots of stuff out there you start to understand what it feels like when something has traction like you can put five or six things out and you're like oh i think some people seem to like that like i had 10 signups but then when you put one out there and suddenly everyone's like talking about it and you've got like a hundred signups and some people are saying, can I pay for this? Then you're like, oh, right. Okay. This is what it's supposed to feel like. So then you can kind of feel this pull of demand from people. And that tells you when you should keep going. But I have had, I have, I have products like the one I mentioned review where I think 
I still think it's a great product and in the right market and the right niche, it could be really, really useful for people. So that's just still kind of there in the background. And if I, occasionally, if I'm talking to someone and I think, oh, this might be interesting and I'll mention it to them. And it could be that just by having it there, someone will discover it. And then I'll discover a whole market that actually really wants this tool. Yeah. The, and at, at some point you might even you might just become like really successful with community co-pilot, let's say, and that's really starts to take off. And then maybe you can, again, my words, not yours, but redirect some resources into your other products and maybe put a marketer person on it or, or put a developer on it to enhance it. Is that something that, that sort of rattles around the old brain that maybe you'll do that in the future instead of just letting it sit using that cognitive weight (laughs) on your mind? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think as, as I, as I grow as a person, I learn more and more every day about marketing and, you know, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. So then when I'm kind of feeling stuck on one project, I can go back to an older project and think, well, how can I apply what I know now that I didn't know when I built this to this project? Can I clean up the landing page? Can I completely change the value proposition? And can I send it out and do some more marketing on it and just give it a push? And I quite like that because I think I think a lot of products take time to kind of percolate and find their own space. So it's good that you can kind of be patient, and just have all these projects hanging around in the background. Although I am, you know, paying monthly for a lot of these things, but I figure it's worth it in the in the long run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At some point, your accountant's going to be like, "Well, what are you doing here? Are you going to you know sell this offer or, or or let it die?" Two questions. I well, I see a lot of people. Now that I'm diving into the no-code space a lot more and sort of just observing sort of a community of folks that I don't know really well, I know the WordPress and I know some of like the bootstrap SaaS community fairly well, there's this uh, tug of war of whether or not to start a personal brand and build an audience and then launch products. Am I getting this right that you were sort of building products first accruing an audience over time, but I don't really see KieranBall.com podcast or Kieran's thoughts podcast. Is there something like that brewing in the background? Or do you say, no, I, I kind of like the methodology that I've approached this with so far? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting discussion, like whether you should build an audience first. So I am, yeah, I am kind of consciously trying to build an audience under the kind of no code life brand, although my website is awful and I need to update it. But it's yeah it, that's kind of a side effect of, of just the fact that i really enjoy building and i enjoyed just talking about it and so i hadn't actually used twitter at all really until i i discovered no code and so that's why i started this whole new handle and just started tweeting about no code and i found that like the audience because no code is a growing space and it's growing so fast it's been relatively easy to kind of accrue followers on twitter and I say easy, but I have tweeted over 5,000 times. So <laughs> there's some work that's gone into that. And sometimes I, I do feel like I need to like write uh, threads and add value and all this stuff. But I think in in this situation, that has fed directly into the success of Launch MBA and the success of Bubble Crash Course, because uh, when I launched those things, I was able to just do like a couple of tweets and it got retweeted by a bunch of people. And we got like a few thousand dollars of sales uh, on both products, got a few thousand dollars of sales just from a couple of tweets when I launched it. So there's like, you kind of build up this goodwill amongst the community and then they're just happy to see you launch something. I wouldn't necessarily advise building an audience to anyone because I think 
it needs to be you need to be certain that you're going to stick around in this space for a long time otherwise you you know you could waste years building an audience and then decide you don't actually want to build any products for this audience uh, and then it's it's time wasted so it's it's a kind of you put in the work before you create the product and you are having the risk that you may not want to actually launch or use that audience in the end but it's it seems to be working well for me in in the no code space and i really like being able to like bounce ideas off of people and kind of be guided uh by the community so like bubble crash course the idea came out of the fact that i was getting loads of people dming me asking for advice on bubble so i was thinking okay people are interested people know that i know about it so perhaps i can instead of just answering answering these questions one-on-one perhaps i can build something that's a bit more scalable so yeah i think it's it's a tough one because a few people have asked recently like should they should they bother with building an audience and i think honestly if you if you're the kind of person where you could put exactly the same amount of time and effort into marketing then i think you would have just as good results in terms of revenues from marketing as you would building an audience first and then selling to that audience but i know realistically myself i wouldn't i wouldn't send out five thousand cold emails to people that's I would find it really awkward and difficult, but I'm happy to send out <laughs> 5,000 tweets about stuff that I'm building and kind of build friendships that way. So for me, that feels more comfortable. And that's why I like doing it that way around. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I think a lot, and again, speaking for myself largely here is I, I think when people look at doing a personal brand, they either look at it very, I don't know, like methodically or like resource intensive. And they're like, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just spend resources over here and just market the the business. But also I think a lot of people associate much like you were getting at, like if I start a personal brand and I don't see this product through, well, people are just going to think I'm a one big loser, one big phony. Right. And I, I don't, I don't think that should stop people. I'm on the sort of like other camp there was like, I I don't let that stop me uh, because I look at the personal brand as uh, the sum of, of all parts and not even just the product, not even just like your business, but everything that you either believe in or, or want to share publicly social on social media or your own blog or podcast or whatever. How does, does this ever play a, a role in, in your brain? Like, man, if this product doesn't make it, or I guess, how do you deal with that sort of stress, man, if this product doesn't make it, well, somebody just look at me, look at this, look at me, and be like, "Oh, look, another failed product." I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> like when I say that to you, I don't mean that in a bad way. But well, how do you think no, about course. that as as a creator? So I I'm kind of I'm really into the whole fail in public kind of attitude that some people have, and I, I think people are people actually really resonate when you're vulnerable, uh, and I know that I have. I've tweeted publicly about several products that I shut down or that failed or where I did the wrong thing. And it always gets a really good reaction. So I actually feel completely comfortable with failing and telling people about it and analyzing it. And I think that's becoming more and more common. So I think as long as people handle it well and and you're just honest and open, I think actually to to fail and to fail as many times as I have and to be open about it can can be a huge benefit and it can really help people to understand you because there's there's tons of people like you, know, you got Instagram or TikTok and you're going to see tons of people who are pretending to be super successful and that their life is perfect all the time and we all know that's not true whereas on yeah. Twitter I feel like people can be a lot more open about things they do wrong and they'll get support I don't know if it's just the no code community that's like that but I have a feeling that it's probably a lot of creative communities that are like that. So, yeah, I, I 
I actually, I, I like it and I don't mind. And I feel more comfortable with failing in front of the Twitter audience than I would with my actual real life friends or family. Like <laughs> I would never, yeah. I would never go up to them and say, Oh, I totally failed with this. This is what happened. Cause they'll be like, Oh my God, that sounds terrible. You poor thing. Whereas in, in this world, it's kind of normal to do that. And I like that. Yeah. What kind of challenges, sort of getting close to wrapping up, what kind of challenges do you think you'll face as community copilot grows? And I'm going to pull out my crystal ball. I did this for a friend of mine, I think a, a year back or two years back, Paul Jarvis. He had a, a very big personal brand. I mean, he still largely does, but he's quite recently sort of quote unquote shut it down so that it doesn't distract him or pull away from what he's doing. But he started a company called Fathom Analytics. And I had him on my podcast a couple times, but he launched a book. He had all these products. We were talking about this. And I was like, man, I think Fathom Analytics is going to be the game changer for you. Just by the way he was talking about it, just thinking about the breadth of scale that it has. All of that is to say is I feel like the same way from what I've heard from you about Community Copilot, like this could be the one (laughs) <laughs> that really takes off just thinking about in terms of scale what kind of challenges are you anticipating with this or that you're immediately having like growing this 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 product or what you might see in the future as as a challenge i mean i'm already discovering more competitors than i thought there were and kind of a good thing but also a bad thing is that they all seem to have tons of like vc backers so it's me and kevin and we're going up against uh, a few companies admittedly there's only like three or four so it's still considering how many slack communities and circle communities there are out there it's like still really small but they yeah they it is daunting to be going up against these guys knowing that i have i have a day job i can't see that i'm going to leave my day job anytime soon so this is going to be a a part-time thing for me so i am certainly nervous about like if i get some big or high profile communities using it and stuff goes wrong certainly nervous about like handling customer service and things like that and managing the whole side of a business in my spare time i think is going to be challenging and then Beyond that, I'm actually nervous about like how how fast it's going to grow. Like I I don't want it. I'm at, at the stage now where I'm more interested in uh, kind of a bootstrapped business and the whole kind of freedom side of things. I'm not really that interested in getting VC funding, or I'm not at all interested in it to be honest, or even any kind of investment. I really like having just control over everything because I've I've had invested businesses before, and I just like the idea of bootstrapping things. So I'm just wondering like what our growth is going to be like and is there going to be a point where we need to suddenly start thinking about hiring team members and going full-time and how's that going to look how's that going to affect my life how is it going to play with like the other things I'm working on but I guess those would all be amazing problems to have really wouldn't they yeah absolutely here's a question I don't often ask too many folks but somebody asked me this on a podcast the other day if you just had to shut the laptop down do nothing tech not, no code, no, no, no code, no code, no designing, nothing on online. What do you think that job would be for you? Oh, uh, I thought you were going to say hobby. So it has to be a job. So I have to get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. You, have to, you just want to, you just want to totally get rid of doing tech to sustain your lifestyle. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> gone a day without opening my laptop since I first got a laptop. I, yeah, I have no idea. I think, I guess I really, I do really enjoy community building. And I do actually have like a, a meetup group or a couple of meetup groups in my hometown, one to like play soccer and one for like entrepreneurs. So 
I think I'd probably do something around like real real life offline community building and maybe just manage some some meetup groups and get people to pay me for that. Yeah, that's pretty much the only thing I feel like I could do without a computer, but that would be a horrible situation. Yeah. <laughs> my my answer was I I just want to be a landscaper. I just want to go cut grass for people. Like I'm <laughs> sick and tired of like picking colored blues for people on on a website or can you move this over here by a pixel or my database is running slow or my podcast doesn't sound like just, let's just just is that the grass you want me to cut that okay i'll go cut that grass that's all i'll do nice and easy well i have uh, or at least i hope i have no i have no gardening skills or kind of i'm terrible with tools so yeah i don't think i could do anything like that kieran ball you have a million products for folks to to choose from where do you want folks to go today to check out communitycopilot.com where else can they go to find more about you so yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at no code life, all one word. You can check out my community launch MBA, which is for makers who, who want to start launching products in the same way I have. That's launchmba.co. And the bubble crash course, if you're interested in learning more about bubble is gum.co slash bubble crash course. Everybody else is mariport.com, mariport.com slash subscribe to join the mailing list number one way to stay connected also the wpminute.com check out the wpminute.com for your weekly wordpress news in under five minutes all right we'll see you in the next episode